0: So what is your excuse again? So what is your excuse again? Turn with me, please, to the book of Judges. The book of Judges, chapter 6. And every message has been different, so... If you missed the first two, you don't have to catch up unless you want to online. Um, but this will be different altogether again. Judges chapter 6, please. Verse 11. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was an Oprah that pertained to Joash the Ibazarite. And his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thy mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our father told us of, saying? Did not the Lord bring us from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us, and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, "Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the, land of the hand of the Midianites." Have not I I sent thee? And he said unto him, "O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel?" Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. Depart not hence, I pray thee, until I come unto thee and bring forth my present and set it before thee and he said I will tarry until thou come again let us pray settle us father in our hearts and in our minds settle us in our thoughts and even in our seat may your word have free course to do as you deem it fit to do So, Father, glorify your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Gideon, in verse 11, he is threshing wheat by the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Notice, wheat by a wine press, two entirely different things. Why wheat and why by a wine press? Yet when we look at the substance boiled down, if you want, it speaks even as we broke bread this morning of the body and the blood of Christ, how it speaks for us all the time in the New Covenant. And here he's threshing wheat. In other words, he's beating the wheat to get the best out of the wheat. And there is a lesson that sometimes we go through situations and we are beaten to as it were, by circumstance and situation, to get the best out of you, to make the best out of you, to turn the best into you. And here he is threshing the wheat by a a wine press. Think of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was beaten and battered and bruised, as we heard around the table, uh, at the, the judgment seat of Pilate and on the halls of the high priest and and at the whipping post and then the cross and we see the, the beating not for the best of him for he was the best but for the best for us. And Gideon is threshing wheat by the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. The Midianites were, they were overrunning the land. The enemy was seemingly having free course to do what they want. To act how they want, to attack when they want. And if, if you think of it, you know, many people stayed at home, close their doors and maybe hid. Gives us a picture of many today. Gives us a picture of many of, of who say they are Christ's and are God's people, and yet they're nowhere to be found. They're hidden hiding themselves and running for fear and doing nothing. You know, I I, I have to admit that I have been guilty of looking at this portion of Scripture with Gideon, threshing wheat by the wine press and thinking only God could see a coward and promise to make him a something. Something. And I've been guilty in the sense that thinking that maybe Gideon was just a card. But when I think about it and I run it over in my mind, then we're talking about a man who is at least out there, a man who is doing something, a man who is active. A man who's trying, whether it's to feed family and friends and and to help maybe neighbors or to reach them, he's doing something when others are doing nothing. So let's not be too hard on him. For I have been, for I've preached on this quite a number of times on this portion of Scripture, and I have been quite hard until I realized, you know what, Gideon is doing something. Gideon is being as faithful as he can be. In verse 12 it says, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him. This is known as a theophany. The angel of the Lord, not an angel from God, but the angel of the Lord is known as a theophany. It's a visible manifestation of Jesus. Of God. And hence he comes right to where Gideon is, to where Gideon is threshing, Yes, albeit that he's trying to hide that the Midianites don't take the wheat. And yes, albeit that he's in a place you wouldn't expect somewhere to thresh wheat because he's behind a wine press. But let alone that, he is doing it. He's there. And God knew where to find him. In a sense, God knows everything. But can I ask you, brother? Sister, in the sense, does God know where to find you? And what I mean by that, does he see your activity? Does he see your heart? Does he know you're, you're trying? In other words, he knows it, but does, does he know where to find you in that sense? Or are you here, there, and everywhere? A lady I've known for years and years used to go to uh, the church we went to for years, came in here one night, and I was so surprised to see her, and I said hello to her, and her first words were, were, don't ask me where I'm going, and don't ask me why I'm here. I'm a rolling stone. I said, there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you want to be, but you can build nothing with rolling stones. Does God know where to find you? In your place with the people he brought you among? Gideon is at least trying when others are doing nothing. Now, please, this isn't condemnation to anyone because we could all look at ourselves in this. And it says, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him. Jesus came and said, Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. And he starts to make his excuses. The Lord is with thee, thy mighty man of valor. So Gideon was threshing wheat when others were hiding. Gideon was doing what he could and God saw it. And Gideon was doing something when others were doing nothing. God calls, generally in Scripture, God calls men to come alongside Him who are doing, serving. He doesn't call those who are in and out and up and down and back and forward who are there one meeting and not the next or going on one moment and not the next. That's not who God calls to use. The biblical pattern, if you want, is God called Moses from the backside of the desert willing to walk with sheep. But he knew where to find him. God called David when his brothers all were brought before Samuel and yet the Lord says not this and not this and not this down every brother until David who's forgotten about is out in the sheep fields. God calls him because he knew where to find him. He knew the ministry of David's heart that really David wasn't looking for the position David wasn't looking for the fame. David had a heart to serve God. Elisha was plowing the field with, and he was yoke number 12. In the field with 12 other yoke-pulling oxen, And there is number one, two, three, right down. He wasn't even fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth, nor eleventh. He was the twelfth. Prone away. But God knew where to find him. But God knew where to find him. Amos was eating the poor man's sycamore fruit in the kingdom of Judah. And he was following the herd or the flock. He felt so backward and low as it were, even when called by God. He says, I am not a prophet. I'm not even the son of a prophet. Why would you even think about sending me to use me? You know why? Because you were faithful in what you were doing. God knew where to find him. Nehemiah was a cupbearer in a heathen country of Babylon standing before the king with his life in his hand every time he served or said a thing. And God knew where to find him in a foreign land Because he was there and he was faithful to the things of God in the midst of the adversity and the position that he finds himself in. The apostles were mending fishing nets. The apostles were mending nets or even casting nets out. And God knew where to find him. Follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men because he's seen the heart of the man They were busied with themselves of what they would do. And God could take that and use that for his glory. Do you know a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways? A double-minded woman is unstable in all her ways. In other words, if we're for and we're against and we're going then we're not and we're here and we're there, it's one foot there and one foot here and suddenly you're, you start to get wider and wider till you fall over because you become unstable. Stability only happens when you have the right stance. Going back many years, many years, seems like another lifetime ago, when I used to fight in the ring one of the most important things for a fighter yes how to use his hands and bob and duck and weave and all that not right Sean but the feet not right Sean the feet are so important for balance for agility do you know what else are important for To drive through power you see people when they're on their toes, they're like twinkle toes and they're falling all over the place. They haven't got their grounding. Need their stance that so they can punch. And drive it through. What's your standing this morning with your feet? Your spiritual feet. Are you like twinkle toes? there's some boys you hit them a clip and they're like this round the ring because of no standing not right Sean. man knows better than me but if they're grounded they can move they can balance they have strength and power in their punch God usually calls those who are busying themselves in service and labor. But listen, Satan comes to the manifold temp- with manifold temptations of hell to those who are idle. You are idle. In 1 Timothy 5 and 13, the chapter is speaking about different things, but for some reason, Paul mentions younger widows younger widows, and he talks about when a younger widow, a husband has passed on and she's now a widow, and she has. She's a natural human being. She has her her desires. She must be careful of these things. And what he says is that they can then be in places, and I would say it's not only the younger widows, but it can happen to men. All people really it can happen to. But she has to busy herself in the things of God or she starts to busy herself in other things and the devil comes in and uses her for his glory. Let me put it further than the young widows, please. Can use us all for his glory. Paul says in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 13, And with all they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, are not only idle, but tattlers, also in busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. When you read that and you put it into our own context, you, you, you can feel it. Paul says, from house to house, Visit to visit, here to there, going to this one and that one, this person and the other person, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers, also busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. Listen, this isn't just young widows. I know some men, and they're like the Belfast Telegraph. remember one time a person spewed out about another person's uh, troubles in front of me and I said, you shouldn't do that. That's gossip. No, the reply was, it's not gossip if it's true. It's not gossip if it's true. So I said, well, I know all about you and it's true. Can I say all about you? Red faced. Red faced. So, what do we busy ourselves in? The faithfulness to the work of the Lord? Or the idleness and the work of the devil? Boy, you can hear a pin drop in here. Gideon was busy, not idle, and the Lord saw it and knew where to find him. Judges 6 and verse 14, he says, Go in this thy might. What might I'm hiding? The little that you have, Gideon, the little backbone you have shown. You know, God can take your little and breathe upon it and use it for His glory. Go on this side, mate. The man threshing wheat by a wine press—he's not even in the right place to do it. And you might think I'm not in the right place for this. Excuse, excuse, excuse. God has brought you here to hear it. What am I doing here? I'm hiding. Angel of the Lord, how does you know where to find me? I'm not even in the right place. Brothers and sisters, it's not about us and our strength, it's about him and his. It's about him and his strength. In verse 15, listen to what he says Oh, my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Wherewith shall I save Israel? Notice, listen to his words. he's, He's trying to make his excuse. So what's your excuse again? Oh my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Look, behold, my family is poor in Manasseh. That's his tribe, the tribe of Manasseh. My family is poor in Manasseh. And you're coming to ask me, why me? I have no social standing. My family are nothing. I have no great background. I have no one behind me nor great backing from a, a big denominational church or whatever. He's saying, Look, Lord, my family are the least of Manasseh. Then he goes deeper. And I am the least in my father's house. I'm nothing. Brothers and sisters, maybe that's you. I haven't got all of this, Lord. I'm nothing. Well, you're the exact person I can use when you realize that. You're the person he can use. You're the person he calls. You're the person he He brings along. You're the person he finds where you are. Even Maybe you may not have been in the right place, but he's saying, now it's time to come into my place. And so Gideon makes the excuse, look, my family's poor in our tribe, and I'm the least in my family. I mean, I'm the one, I'm the little one at the end here. And you're calling me. The Lord says, I've seen you. By this wine press, you've had a heart. The little you have, go in this side, mate, and watch what I'll do with it. And what happens is he saves Israel. He saves Israel from the Midianites, and yet he was making excuses just moments before. Why would God use me? Why could God use me? Sure, I'm nothing. Why would God think about me? Well, look, if you will, go with me to First Corinthians, please. While you're looking it up, I'll just say God doesn't look at your social status to see if you're in good standing, He doesn't look in your self confidence because He doesn't want your self confidence. He doesn't look at your family background to see if you're worthy or not because we're all unworthy. Every one of us. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught the things which are. So he uses the word foolish things of the world to confound the wise. See the word foolish, it's our word, moros. Sorry, our word foolish is the Greek word moros. This is where we got our word moron from. It means somebody who's thick headed. Thick headed. One of the Greek renderings is a blockhead, they call him. A stupid man. A stupid woman. A moron. Why not God choosing people like that? It's all right when we're saved and we're going, Oh my God, for a while, isn't it? Because now we can look at them and go, Why not God saving people like that? Isn't that terrible? Huh? We're all the same. The foolish things of the world can find the things which are mighty. Notice what he says. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. So in verse 28, the base things. See the word base here? It's the word agoness. And it means one of low birth or those which have no account nor fame. Those which have no account or fame. You can say where you Lord saved you from and called you from, whatever, and some, some, some grew up nicer sort of backgrounds than others, some more troubled than others, uh, some in deeper died sin more manifest sin than others, and, and we can just go on, but, but you, you think of where you were, you were called from and where you were saved from and what you've been forgiven of, even if you grew up in a Christian home that God's kept you from. And when you look at this thing, the base—it's one of low birth, or it means those people that nobody really thinks much of, and they'll come to nothing. You know? Do you know what church is? It's a rescue shop from within a yard of hell. Do you know what church is? Church is a hospital for the sick and the dying in spirit. Church isn't a fashion show to see if our ties are the best or our suits are the nicest. I complimented David on his suit. I thought it was a new one this morning. He said it isn't, but it looks new, David. It's really nice. I like it. But it's not our fashion show, it's not what we're wearing. I like to wear this. I like to dress like this on a Lord's day. That's okay. That's what I do. It's not about our social standing. God has come into the muck and into the mire. Christ came right down from heaven to a cross. Shed his blood and he died for people who the world would just put in the dustbin. But he came and he rescued us. He lifted us. And there's not one of us is better than another. We were sinners sealed by matchless sovereign grace, washed in the precious blood, and we all feel him. But thank God he keeps us on the right track. So what's your excuse? Lord, I can't because you don't know my family. You don't know my background. You don't know my failures. You don't know my past. He says, listen, I've chosen you. I've chosen you. You're a vessel of honor for me. Not because of who you are or I am, but because of who he is and what he's done. The word despised Exothenio. It means to make of no account. You saw sometimes some of the people God uses. Some people go, Well, I should have been there first. Hmm. I remember, I'll never forget it actually. Alice and I were preparing to go to Romania. And none, nobody knew it. It wasn't announced in the church. And one Wednesday night out of the blue, <laughs> we didn't know what was going to happen. And there I was, I'd come in and edit. It was cold outside. And then they were in fashion before anybody thinks I was out of fashion. Okay. It was in the nineties. I had a, a big woolly jumper with a polar neck on. And I remember it was. Red with a big white stripe and a black one in the middle of it. It's glowed at you when you seen it and a pair of jeans on and a pair a pair of shoes that were more more like trainers than anything else. He just does this, come up and I went, me? Come here. Wednesday night, Bible study, twelve hundred people at it. And I, I come along he comes down off his, his platform and he puts his arm around me and he says, this young man is going to Romania. Now you look at me, and I had an out, sort of an outgrown-out skinhead a bit. Big long locks down to the jawline. This, this jumper rolled round the neck. Spoke as rough as ropes. Hard Belfast accent. And he says... He and his wife are gonna to go to Romania. And I know because I heard in the grave find, some people thought it should have been me. And other people thought, well, why is he sending him? Sure, look at him. I'll be honest. For us to go it was terrifying. But we went thing about it was we believed that God seen our heart. We were always in our place and God knew where to find us. Despised as they take no account of you, you mean nothing. Who who is this one? who's this one they're going to, who's that they're bringing on to the, the, the worship team? Who's that they're having to do the children? Who, who do they think they are? Why am I not? Well, maybe that person isn't, isn't being used because they're not in their place. And maybe God hasn't called them because their heart isn't right. And this is not a condemnation to someone. I'm saying this to help us all. Thomas Watson, the old Puritan once said, Let us ascribe the whole work of grace to the pleasures of God's will. God did not choose us because we were worthy, but by choosing us, he makes us worthy. None of us are worthy. But when he chooses, he looks for the man, him, her, the woman. You know, Some people chase ministry like it is a balloon in the air being blown around. Think the ministry's over this way. Oh, no, it's going that way. Think the ministry's over here. That one's out of the road. Oh, look, there's another balloon over there blown in the wind. This one's coming down. Maybe I can grab it. Oh, it's way up there. I'm so depressed that I didn't get it. And I'm not joking. That's how many think of the ministry. They'll do anything just to try till they hold on something that's not of God. They'll chase it. And the next person says, do this. I'm going to do it. I'll meet you. I'll be there. I'll do that. I'll be there. But there's no grounding. There's no covering. They've messed up in their calling. some people want to some people think that when they, they want to preach for example I'll use it for an example maybe other things I've had people who have been along in church over the years last 20 years or so and they've come to me and they've said you know, I want to preach can I preach in your pulpit I want to preach I have people who message me on a regular basis send me emails can I come and preach in your pulpit don't know them other people, you know them, but all they ever want to do is the pulpit, but they don't want to do anything else. Listen, see, see, see if you go to a church and the pastor isn't willing to clean the toilet and put his hand down it with a scrubbing brush. If he's not willing to do that, then don't sit and listen to him on the pulpit. If he's not willing to be there, like any man or woman. Leadership doesn't start in the pulpit. I want to put that out there. Leadership doesn't start in the pulpit. You just don't walk into it. Many do, but that's why they leave it as quick as they got into it. That's why they change churches every so many years. That's why they walk away. Oh, there's another one. The wages is better. I'll go there instead. Or I'll go to this one over here because there's better perks for me. Then that's a job, not the calling. You know what? We need someone up in this town, so we'll remove him from there, and we'll get one of the younger ones to go in there. And what about the call of God? This is any ministry. Talking about pastoring where I am, you can apply maybe where you are. What about God's will? Leadership doesn't start in the pulpit. Leadership starts in the toilet. In the toilet, scrubbing. In the car park. And we make excuse why we can't do it, but yet everything we have, we want it. I was driving ten or half ten last night, bringing Ellie home from work. Went to get her, bring her home from work, and just before she get in, this thought came to me. And I'll put this into preaching. You can put it into anything else in ministry or anything else in service for the Lord. I just jotted it down. There's it there. I jotted it down the back of that this morning. Every morning is your opportunity. As soon as you open your eyes in the morning, there's an opportunity for you to serve. There's an opportunity for you to minister. Every morning you open your eyes and you're able to get out of bed and go, there's an opportunity. Every day is your invitation to go do. Every day is your invitation to preach. Every street corner is your pulpit. Every crowd is your congregation. Every person is your mission. Every need is your service. Every opposition is your schooling. Every danger is your testing. Every soul saved is your blessing. Let me just put this, this isn't about me, but let me, because I can't relate it another way. We're not in a beautiful building. One day maybe we'll have that, but God's here. We're grateful for what we have. But as for the pulpit, for example, and it can be for other ministry or things in life, it just doesn't happen. You have to be threshing wheat by a wine press when no one else is willing to do it. You have to be in a place where you're you're there and you're working at it and you're laboring at it when no one else is there to do it. When you don't feel like doing it, when you're not even well enough to do it. I've climbed up these stairs many a time and I've got out of bed feeling ill, sick, maybe all weekend, and I've walked up because this is what God gave me to do. You see, if you do it because it's for fame or popularity, forget about it, because it'll die sometime. If you do it for the pleased man or the pleased woman, forget about it, because you'll displease them sometime, and that's the end of you. Listen, I'm a hero to many people, and the next day I'm a zero to everyone. This week alone, three different people from three different areas, about three different groupings of believers, about how they hate me. This week, people, oh, I can't stick this. Well, I just go, praise God, the devil's angry. The devil's mad, means God's going to do something. I want to be in it. Listen, if you're doing it to please the pastor, thank you, but please don't. Because when the pastor becomes your zero, you're going to hate him even more than you did love him at the start or profess to love him. This is not, brothers and sisters, I know this is challenging because this has challenged me from I wrote it three weeks ago, four weeks ago. This is not about clocking card and going to church. This is not about, well, sure, I'll show my face this morning. This is about reality of Christ. This is about living for Christ. Not only here, when you go out those doors. Christ is with you. Christ is in you. Christ is above you. Christ is before you. Christ is around you. Christ is behind you. It's like Patrick's prayer. Oh, Patrick, St. Patrick knew Christ was everywhere and he was aware of Christ. And so when we serve, we don't serve for people, prestige or pastors. We serve the Lord because he's worthy. Because he is worthy of it. And it means when you're discouraged, you'll still go on. When you're hurt, you'll still be there. When you're sick and able to drag yourself out of bed, you'll still do it. And when someone or something else comes along to drag you away, to draw you on, to do something else, you'll say, I cannot leave my post because the Lord has called me to this. And here I must stay until he gives me charge to leave. Not so long ago, I was asked about a certain church where I consider going to pastor it—a sizable, quite big church where I consider going to pastor it. It was only last year. This is what we believe you could do. This is what was in it. This is blah, 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 all that, that, and the other. Nobody knows about this. This is the first anybody's hearing about this. And this was my reply. I can't go. Because the Lord has told me what to do. And he's given me something to do. And I can't leave until the Lord gives me leave. And he hasn't given me leave. I'm staying the course, should it be, for the rest of my life. I was called hyper-spiritual by someone that was there. And I says, call it what you want. I know where God has put me. And should I have to preach here until the last person closes the door and turns out the lights? usually Willie Black. <laughs> If he sticks it that long, or I have to do it myself, then that's what we'll do, and then God will let me move on. Brothers and sisters, you just can't up sticks and go because you feel like it. Ministers just can't up sticks and go because, well, their ministry's getting a bit dry. If your ministry's getting dry, brother, go and seek the Lord and retake the well again. Getting excited there, I'm going to have to settle down because when I got home last week, it took me two days to recover from last Sunday night. My legs were like jelly and I could already make it up and down the stairs at times. Do you get what I'm saying this morning? You get it? You understand I love you. It's not anger. I'm not angry. I'm trying to help. But Lord, I can't. I'm the least. Listen. It's not about you. If he's chosen you to do it, then he will equip you in it. It's not about me. I can't either. I was talking to someone yesterday. I went to see them. I was with them for two or three hours. We're talking about certain things and how they were feeling about a certain thing. And I'm not going to it, but this is what I said. I said, see, every Saturday night, People would ask us to go out maybe, do you want to come out for a meal? Or And the very, very rare time I would do it on a Saturday night. Usually I would do it on a Friday night, but not a Saturday night. Because I'm not good company on a Saturday night. Now, if I go out with you, you probably wouldn't know unless you know. But me, I'm, just not, I'm not good company in the sense where my mind's somewhere else. You're talking to me and it's like, lights are on, no one's home. My mind and heart is somewhere else. Where is it? It's here. See, my Sunday doesn't start at 11 a.m. My worship doesn't start at 11 a.m. Every week as it goes along. And I know you just have your own time of worship. I'm talking about when we gather together. It's Saturday night after writing or the Lord speaking to me during the week. It's heavy on me. I carry it until I offload it. And Saturday night you could be sitting talking to me over a meal and there'd be lights on nobody home and then I catch myself on, yes, oh I, yes, sorry. Because my mind is on the word, my mind is on the table, my mind is on the worship, my mind is on the gathering. And I said to this person, you say, Listen, he said, I'm going to be honest with you. On a Saturday night I get nervous. He says, are you nervous when you're preaching? And I says, no, no, never am. I have a respect of it and a reverence of the table, don't get, or the, the pulpit, don't get me wrong. It's a, I get nervous because I think, maybe I'll come to the tent and nobody will turn up tomorrow. It's the truth. But I still have to go. And it's discouraging when you get the calls, I'm not coming. It's discouraging when you get the calls and somebody's away supporting somebody else. But you have to go on, brother, sister, ministry-wise, children, the youth, or whatever. You get let down, you get discouraged, but you have to dig deep and go on in God. Get some grit about you. You make excuses. Do you know what Gideon's name means? Tree feller or cutter downer. Do you know what the first thing the Lord says? I'm going to test you. See all the trees and the groves there with all the idols in it? Go and cut it down. Want me to do that? You go. Now, to be fair, Gideon didn't do it maybe the way he should have done it. He went at night, sneaky. But he went he went he changed his name to Jeroboam you know what that means one who contends with Baal that's where ministry is that's where youth and children and whatever it is preaching whatever. it's contending with Baal not chasing the balloon we talked about brothers and sisters all I can do is preach I preach my heart out to you every week. You are faithful. Don't get me wrong. This is condemnation, by the way. All you can do is minister and leave it up to God. Leave it up to Him. Don't get discouraged if you're ministering or you're called to do something. Don't make excuses. I'm the least in my family. It doesn't matter who you are. If God has called you to it, then He'll equip you in it. May God bless each and every one of you this morning for His name's sake. Amen.